0: The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah, run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing.
1: Ouch! Oh, go put a band-aid on it. Welcome to beside Still Waters. And this is our Put a Band-Aid on It segment. I'm wrestling with an issue, a problem. And I think I know the answer because I've proven it for myself on many occasions over the past 40 years. But I'd like to present it to you. And I want to caution you that it might be a little difficult to wrap your understanding around this notion and once i explain it you'll say okay that makes sense let me tell you the scriptures that present the problem in 2nd samuel chapter 24 it tells us that the anger of jehovah was kindled against Israel. And he moved David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. Now, this is a problem because the kings, the people were commanded in the law uh, to not number the people. And you'll find in the book of Numbers, for example, that the only acceptable time that the people should be numbered is when Jehovah caused and called Moses to number the people for specific reasons. So here is the sovereign God, the loving God, the God of Israel, and the God who had a close and deeply personal relationship with David. In fact, David was called a man after God's own heart. However, if we were to go to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, the same circumstance is stated, and Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. And of course, you can read the rest of the chapter for yourself. His general, Joab, was resistant to doing this. Now, here is the the problem. And and we're going to need two Band-Aid segments to really cover this. I, I think the answer to the quandary is quite a beautiful explanation given by our Lord Jesus Christ. However, for the devotees of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a problem because on one hand, we're told that Jehovah was angry with his people and he is using a man who loves him, who's after his own heart, the greatest king of Israel. And then in another narrative, that is in 1 Chronicles, we are told that Satan stood up against Israel. And we ask ourselves, why would God allow Satan to do this? Why would he use a king that loves him? Why would he move David to do this? And at the same time, we are told that God is angry with Israel So why would he want this outcome, which we would find in both narratives that several thousand, in fact, tens of thousands of people died? And we ask ourselves, well, how can God do this? And it's not only uh, specific to the believers, the children of God, if you will, but Men, people ask this question, why did God either do or allow a catastrophe? And we wrestle with this. These are not easy issues to wrestle with, but we wrestle with them. Now, let's set a context. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, for example, from about the 14th verse to about the end of the chapter, the kings or the people, before they entered into the land of promise, they were told uh, specifically the instructions to the kings. Now, he's telling them before they even uh, selected kings that this is what you're going to do. It's going to happen. So he's telling them, Jehovah is telling them by the mouth of Moses exactly what's going to happen in the future. Now, the word of God always tells us what the consequences of our choices will be whether for good or for ill. And we will see what the mindset is uh, that typically responds to these uh, uh, assertions made by God. So he's telling them, you're, you're going to select a king. And then he gives a warning, or several warnings, that the kings should not multiply horses to themselves. So their objective should not be to intentionally build an army or alliances with other nations in order to increase their numbers. So that's multiplying horses. They should not multiply wives. So although we see the practice of having concubines, and and some of the kings had several wives, and Solomon perhaps broke all the world records in terms of the number of wives and concubines, they were commanded, don't multiply wives the kings were also commanded to write a copy of the law for themselves. So from a practical perspective, they are reading and and comprehending and stating to themselves exactly what Jehovah is speaking to them. And then, of course, they were told that they have to keep the law. And the objective for doing this, as stated through Moses, was to prevent the heart of the king from being lifted up and the implied problem is pride, being lifted up as a result of pride and turn aside from God. Now, here's the problem with Saul and David, the first two kings. They were multiplying horses because, of course, both built an army. Saul perhaps was a little more guilty of this than David. David's uh, group grew as a result, and of course he had very noble uh, soldiers with him, and, and the disgruntled came to him, and he started out with a few hundred, and of course that number grew. Both of them multiplied wives to themselves. David's first wife was Abigail, and he began slowly but surely to increase the number of his wives, until by the time he became king of not only Judah, but Israel, he had several wives, and several sons, lots of children. We are not told that either of them ever copied the law for themselves, but we knew that David was a man that meditated on the law. He certainly thought a lot and highly of his relationship with God and loved Jehovah. But we are not told that they ever wrote a copy of the law for themselves. And based on their histories, we have to conclude They both, in very significant ways, did not keep the law. Now, the conclusion we can draw is, well, they didn't write a copy of the law. They were, you know, they didn't pay attention to the multiplication of wives and and certainly of horses. So right away, they're right out of the, the starting block, three things they did not do. And we have to ask ourselves a question. Well, evidently, the people who also were given the same commands... We're not careful to do that, but it gets worse. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel was one of the greatest judges of Israel. And at one point, the people came to Samuel in his old age, and uh, they told him that they wanted a king like the nation's. And Samuel was effectively told by Jehovah that they are not rejecting you, Samuel, they are rejecting me. They want to be like the nations. So, as Jesus said, he who is not for me is against me. And evidently, they were not for the the structure of having a judge, a deliverer, raised up by Jehovah at his choosing. Uh, springing out of their supplication to God. So, when they prayed in their crises, God raised up a man who delivered them. And they didn't want that paradigm anymore. They wanted to be like the nations. They did not want Jehovah to reign over them. And Jehovah also told Samuel in so many words in, in that same first Samuel chapter 8 verses 5 to 8 that now Samuel you know exactly how I feel because they're rejecting you as well. So the people did not want the governmental standard that God was using for them in raising up judges. They wanted to be like their neighbors that they saw around them. And the king's who were selected, Saul being the first king and David the second king and of course the successive kings did not take heed to the injunctions given to them specifically as the head ruler, the top man on the totem pole, if you will. And this, these, uh, if you will, commands were a preventative from exercising self-will over the will of God. And what do we have? Well, we now are looking at a circumstance in which God is moving David to number the people, which was something he commanded shouldn't be done. And then we see in another narrative that God is allowing Satan to influence David to number the people. And we say to ourselves, God is not just. My dear friends, when we go back to Genesis, Adam and Eve were told, In the day you eat thereof, of that which was forbidden, you shall surely die. And what did they do? They listened to the word that was contrary to the word of God And in the moment that they disobeyed, their eyes were opened, they knew they were naked, and ultimately hid themselves from God. And they died spiritually immediately, and several hundred years thereafter, they died physically. So the word of God stood true. Now we add another component that's difficult for us, and that is, How do we blend in free will versus the sovereign will of God versus his allowance to allow the forces of darkness to work freely in the realm of men? And we say that we are powerless against all these forces, but we are not. Because we are told in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 18 and 19, and this is after Israel had been given warnings before they went into the land. And Jehovah said by the mouth of David that the man whose heart turns away from Jehovah to other gods. Now he's saying to them, okay, this is a warning to those who decide I'm going to worship idols, and we're going somewhere with this. That if a man decides to think this way and decide within his heart, I'm, I'm going to serve idols, I'm going to serve Baal or whatever the... the the national idols of the peoples are, the peoples of the land. He says that person has a root bearing gall and wormwood. And as I mentioned in the previous podcast, that wormwood was a plant that, uh, a very bitter substance that uh, sort of uh, uh, minimizes the effect of pain. It bore gall. And this is what they attempted to give the Lord Jesus when he was, uh, being crucified to uh, medicate against the pain, almost like uh, like morphine, if you will, but it minimized the pain. Uh, it drugged them, for lack of a better word. So this substance, gall, was derived from wormwood, and Jehovah is saying, the man who thinks like this, that he's going to serve God, other gods, a root. Of wormwood has sprung up from which gall will be extracted. He's going to be immune to the consequences of his choice, which ultimately will be to his detriment. And what this man is thinking to himself, man or woman, that he hears the curses that are outlined in this book if he goes after idols, and he concludes that that curse will not have an effect on him. He still blesses himself. He says, I'm going to walk in, in my own way, in my own self-will, and I'm still going to have peace. I'm still going to be blessed. And you know what the conclusion was by the mouth of Moses? Jehovah will not pardon that man. That man will evoke the anger and jealousy of God because he went after idols. So here we are trying to balance the sovereign will of God, the free will of man, the commands of God as they went forth, and now the consequences. And we say to ourselves, what do we do? What do we do? How do we address this? Well, here is part of the problem. In Psalm 119 and uh, the 99th verse, David could say that he has more understanding than all his teachers because Jehovah's testimonies are his meditation. So, how do I balance free will, divine sovereignty, consequences for disobedience? Why does God do what he does in the realm of men that appear to be capricious, punitive? But what we don't realize is, if a man takes the time to understand the ways of God as they are outlined in the scriptures. That person has a better understanding how to govern their responses to God in a way that assures greater blessing, a greater awareness of the presence of God in their life, and a higher Uh, probability of answered prayer. You see, very often, as the scripture says, that God in Psalm 138, verse 2, that the Lord has magnified his word above his name. Once that word leaves the lips of God, so to speak, he must honor his word for good or for ill. And if I, as a devotee of the Lord Jesus Christ, disregards the smallest of information that God, by his spirit, is teaching me about himself, it is not without consequence. I, you, we, become like that man in Deuteronomy who decides I'm going to go after another God. A root of wormwood springs up in my life, but those curses will never apply to me. And the Spirit of God is clear that for that man, the consequence, the seed that he has sown, will bear fruit. In fact, we are told in the Scriptures that God is not mocked; Whatsoever a man sows, so also shall he reap. And to think that the Word of God will not affect me is to place myself in a circumstance that clearly says God's anger will be kindled because I have, in essence, said God is a liar. I have concluded by my actions, I've stated to the, 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 if you will, the personages of heaven and earth that the word of God is not true. And though I defy it, it will not apply to me. That, my friend, is dangerous thinking. Dangerous thinking. So now when we step back and we look at a man like David, a man after God's own heart, what do we conclude David did not pay attention to the injunction about not multiplying wives. And we have no record where David wrote a copy of the law. And having done so, having taken a position that sets a man in an adverse uh, position against the word of God, we have essentially challenged The unchanging one, the omnipotent one, the omnipresent one, the one that is holy. We have placed ourselves in an adversarial relationship with God, even though we are his people. Peter writes, as he did to the churches of Asia in his first letter, be ye holy. You be holy, for I am holy. And Peter goes on to say, and I've quoted this in other podcasts, Peter goes on to say, if you invoke, if you call upon God, who is holy, then pass the time of your sojourn in fear you see my friends and we will we'll address this in another band-aid moment about fellowship prayer time alone with god and why this is not only a sacred moment but it is a very holy exercise holy as in h o l y a very holy Exercise. A time when a man, a woman, whomever, meets with the living God. And God has given to David free will. And he should have known what the law stated. And even Joab, his general, tried to dissuade him from this action. And when I have made God my Adversary, Although I am indwelt by his spirit, but I have decided on a course of action that is clearly contrary to the mind and will of God and outside the, the scope of his willingness to bless me, I have now invoked, I have kindled, I have been the cause of God having to, if you will, respond to me with resistance. And this is what he did with David. Now, David was not intending, perhaps, to be the cause of so many people dying unnecessarily. But God was angry with his people because he had told them before, and having spoken by the, by the mouth of Moses, that word is unalterable. And this is the second major learning for us. The word of God is unalterable. It will not change. God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to change what he has said. For you, you are no different than me, nor I than David, if we disregard the word of God. It will affect our intimacy with God because we are not careful to ponder quietly what pleases God. And so David, having been a king, who loves Jehovah and uh, will deign to build, if you will, a temple for the name of Jehovah. But he had already multiplied horses. He was going to number the people and Satan was allowed, was given free course to tempt David as Satan was Doing to Peter uh, during the time of our Lord Jesus' ministry. And Peter sought to prevent Jesus from going to Calvary. And that incurred an immediate rebuke by the Lord Jesus to say to Peter, get from me, Satan. Get behind me. You don't savor the things of God. So the Lord Jesus set by his example that Satan has to be resisted. In fact, we are told in the, uh, the beginning of his ministry in the Gospels when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, that his responses to Satan's attempts to cause him to act in self-will was it is written. The Lord Jesus established by his example what the man who is indwelt by the Spirit of God, what his response ought to be towards the enemy of our souls, Satan. And what his response ought to be when we are tempted by the allurements of the world. When Satan offered the Lord Jesus the kingdoms of this world, And he said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And so David should have known that to number the people was an offense to God because they were expressly forbidden to do so. And given the fact that he was perhaps the most famous king of Israel, he had many wives and he also had concubines, which we learned when Solomon Uh, raised up in defiance against his father and ultimately shamed the household by, uh, if you will, sleeping with the concubines uh, in open view in Jerusalem. And so when we come to this matter of God allowing uh, uh, the forces of darkness, in this case Satan, Satan, he also said, and, and it's, it's rather interesting, if, if we were to go back to Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 4, it says that Jehovah has made all things for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of evil. Because God is sovereign, because God is holy, he reserves the right to govern all things according to his perfect will. But God is dealing with men who have free wills and we often exercise our free wills in defiance of the express commands of God. So what do we do with this? Well, here is our challenge. As the kings were told, for example, that they ought to uh, make a copy of the Word of God for themselves. They ought to copy the, the law personally to sit down and write it out line by line, word for word. In that process, they would be taking time to meditate, to think about what they were writing. And David himself In the 119th Psalm, said in the 99th verse, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditations, the things that God has stated outright, and my pondering of those sacred themes is what opens my heart and mind and understanding more than all those who will teach me why. Because the Spirit of God will reveal to that devotee what pleases God. And my friend, at the end of the day, when I quiet my heart before God, beside still waters, My primary objective is to understand what pleases God. It's a love relationship. It's like when a man and a woman have growing affections for each other. Those interactions become sacred, become special. Or like David and Jonathan. They considered their friendship sacred. And when we're getting to know someone, there's an opening of one's heart and mind and world to that person. That interaction becomes sacred. And so, too, my relationship with God, because I'm taking the time to ponder what he reveals about himself, that is, what God reveals about himself, that interaction becomes sacred. And as a result of what I'm learning, I draw near to God to commune, to talk with him, to open my heart and mind and being and to ask him to reveal himself through his word, to help me understand more of his ways that I might govern my steps, my lifestyle, my decisions, to govern them in such a manner that God is pleased, that the will of God is done, and that ultimately God receives the glory. David numbered the people, but God was moved To judge his people because at years before, several uh, hundred years before, they decided we don't want a judge, we want a king like the nations. And so God granted to them the very thing they wanted, but with warnings, what would happen, what the kings would do and what the consequences would do. And now that they have chosen kings and the kings did exactly what they were forbidden to do, they have Open the door for the judgment of God to be executed among the people and against the nation. God is showing himself to be just and that he will bring his word to pass. Therefore, it behooves us to ask of God to give us a heart that is inclined to keep his word. Inclined, tilt my heart in the direction that I want to do what pleases you. My dear friends, that moment that brings us beside still waters is the most sacred moment on earth because a man, a human being, is opening their heart and mind to know the living God, to grow in one's understanding of who God is, and to respond in loving obedience, if you will, to his expressed will. And the next time we get together, we will go further into that sacred union, that sacred place, that sacred connection that we have with the living God. Oh, may we be helped by God's grace to be sensitive to what pleases Him for our benefit and for His glory as we draw near to Him beside still waters.
0: Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.